If you can make your way back to your seats, we're going to get started. And it's so good to see you this morning, church. Really good to see you all. And if you could open up your Bibles to Exodus chapter 32. Exodus 32 is the passage of Scripture we're going to read this morning. We've been in the midst of a series entitled uh, Seeing Christ in All of Scripture. And uh, this passage of Scripture today in the book of Exodus is uh, a powerful section of Scripture that I believe the Lord's going to really touch our hearts with. And so if you could open up your Bibles to Exodus 32 and let's read God's Word together. Exodus chapter 32, let's read beginning in verse 1. When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, Up, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So Aaron said to them, Take off the rings of gold that are in the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people took off the rings of gold that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron, and he received the gold from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf. And they said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. And they rose up early the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. And the Lord said to Moses, Go down for your people whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt, have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way that I commanded them. They have made for themselves a golden calf and have worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people Now, therefore, let me alone that my wrath may burn hot against them and I may consume them in order that I may make a great nation of you. But Moses implored the Lord his God and said, O Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say, With evil intent did he bring them out to kill them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth. Turn from your burning anger and relent from this disaster against your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, to whom you swore by your own self and said to them, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and all this land that I have promised I will give to your offspring. And they shall inherit it forever. And the Lord relented from the disaster 
that he had spoken of bringing on his people. Then Moses turned and went down from the mountain with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand. Tablets that were written on both sides, on the front and on the back they were written. The tablets were the work of God and the writing was the writing of God engraved on the tablets. When Joshua heard the noise of the people as they shouted, he said to Moses, there is a noise of war in the camp. But he said, it is not the sound of shouting for victory or the sound of the cry of defeat, but the sound of singing that I hear. And as soon as he came near the camp and saw the calf and the dancing, Moses' anger burned hot. And he threw the tablets out of his hands and broke them at the foot of the mountain. He took the calf that they had made and burned it with fire and ground it to powder and scattered it on the water and made the people of Israel drink it. And Moses said to Aaron, What did this people do to you that you have brought such a great sin upon them? And Aaron said, Let not the anger of my Lord burn hot. You know the people, that they are set on evil. For they said to me, Make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So I said to them, Let any who have gold take it off. So they gave it to me, and I threw it into the fire, and out came this calf. And when Moses saw that the people had broken loose, for Aaron had let them break loose to the derision of their enemies, then Moses stood in the gate of the camp and said, Who is on the Lord's side? Come to me. And all the sons of Levi gathered around him, and he said to them, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Put your sword on your side, each of you, and go to and fro from gate to gate throughout the camp, and each of you kill his brother and his companion and his neighbor. And the sons of Levi did according to the word of Moses. And that day about 3,000 men of the people fell. And Moses said, Today you have been ordained for the service of the Lord, each one at the cost of his son and of his brother, so that he might bestow a blessing upon you this day. The next day Moses said to the people, You have sinned a great sin, and now I will go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. So Moses returned to the Lord and said, Alas, this people have sinned a great sin. They have made for themselves gods of gold. But now, if you will forgive their sin, but if not, please blot me out of your book that you have written. But the Lord said to Moses, Whoever has sinned against me, I will blot out of my book. But now go, lead the people to the place about which I have spoken to you. Behold, my angel shall go before you. Nevertheless, in the day when I visit, I will visit their sin upon them. Then the Lord sent a plague on the people because they had made the calf, the one that Aaron made. The title of the message this morning is, What Can We Learn Today About the Golden Calf? Let's pray together. Oh, Almighty God, what a sobering passage of Scripture describing Your people. Lord, have Your full way in our hearts this morning as we come before Your Holy Word. Lord, teach us and change us. Strengthen us, Almighty God, according to Your Word. 
deepen our faith in Christ. Help us to cling to Him all the more passionately as a result of hearing Your Word of truth this morning. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. Well, I read this story that the officials of the Los Padres National Forest announced this week that the largest wildfire in California's modern history is now officially out more than six months after it started. The Thomas Fire, as some of you would know, it started December 4th, 2017 and eventually burned 281,893 acres, the U.S. Forestry Service said. Officials made the announcement after no hot spots were detected within the fire's perimeter for more than two months. The work, work continues, however, as crews and equipment repair roads, trails, and fences damaged by the fire and by suppression actions. On December 23rd, the fire officially became the largest since the California Department of Forestry and Fire Protection compiled its list in 1932. The blaze consumed more than a thousand structures throughout Southern California before it became 100% contained January 12th. It also led to devastating mudslides in Montecito that killed 17 people and destroyed dozens of homes. The Thomas Fire claimed the life of 32-year-old Corey Iverson, an engineer with Cal Fire. He left behind a wife, a toddler, and an unborn baby. The fire, fueled by strong Santa Ana winds and dry conditions, devastated portions of Ventura and Santa Barbara counties. It also concluded the costliest year of wildfires in U.S. history, in which fires did more than $10 billion worth of damage. About $177 million was spent battling the Thomas Fire alone. One of the things that some of you would know is that the majority of wildfires are the result of human carelessness. And it's such a sobering, sobering reality. And here in Exodus chapter 32, what we see is essentially a forest fire begin to break out amongst the people of God. And there's this great act, this great act of idolatry with the creating of the golden calf. But I want to submit to you, brothers and sisters, by way of introduction to the sermon, that the the beginnings of this were already on its way when the people of God, time and time again throughout the previous chapters in Exodus, began to very, very repetitively grumble and complain against the Lord. As I was meditating on this great sin with the golden calf, I was pondering just the way people will talk about drugs and how there are gateway drugs like marijuana that lead to drug abuse of drugs that have even greater power to destroy you. The concept of a gateway drug led me to think of grumbling and complaining as a gateway sin. That the golden calf incident didn't just erupt out of nothing, but was actually started, this 
forest fire of idolatry we read here in Exodus 32 began with small sparks of grumbling in individual human hearts amongst the people of God, whereby they complained, Is the Lord among us or not? Where's our water? Where's our bread? Where's our meat? <coughs> and that disposition led them to complain against Moses and Aaron time and time again, building up to this chapter. And also, it led them to really forget God as He was amongst them. And so there's a number of points I want to touch on this morning. I'm going to run through them very quickly. Number one, forgetting God is a serious thing. Number two, idolatry can break loose quickly. Number three, sin has serious consequences. Four, Are you on the Lord's side? Number five, who will intercede for you? And then number six, God relented. God relented. Let's look at point one. And I want to focus in on that, just the heavy applications from this passage of Scripture in Exodus chapter 32. And they they apply so Uh, directly into our lives today. But number one, forgetting God is a serious thing. Where do I get this concept of this chapter here in Exodus 32 being that the people forgot God? Where we get this concept, you'll look in Psalm 106. And in Psalm 106, the Word of God says this, they made a calf in Horeb and worshipped a metal image. They exchanged the glory of God for the image of an ox that eats grass. And then in verse 21 of Psalm 106, the Word of God says about this account, they forgot God, their Savior. The people of Israel forgot God, their Savior, who had done great things in Egypt. So God had done great things for them in Egypt, saving them, redeeming them, and yet the people of God forgot God. This is a very, very serious thing for us to contemplate, that God can even do great things for us, and it's possible for God's people, even after God has done this, to forget Him. You see this in just the way that the people react after Moses. It says in verse 1, the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain. He delayed. And there was just something about that delay that seemed to incite and trigger this breaking out action from the people. This forgetting God aspect is actually mentioned in the New Testament in 2 Peter chapter 1. It actually talks about the qualities that we're meant to have as Christians like godliness and brotherly affection and love are meant to mark our Christian lives. And 
2 Peter 1 verse 8 says, if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then listen to verse 9 of 2 Peter 1. For whoever lacks these qualities, godliness, whoever lacks godliness is so nearsighted that he's blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Forgetting that God has cleansed you from your former sins can lead to a lack of godliness. It can lead to you being, as Scripture says in the New Testament, nearsighted. What have you done for me lately, God? And we forget all about what He did for us in Egypt. And it becomes all about the moment in the present. Oh, brothers and sisters, we must recognize just that when people saw that Moses delayed, when God doesn't move fast enough for us, I want it now. That's a test. Of our faith. Will we grumble and complain under that? Because if we can start down the avalanche of grumbling and complaining and light that fire, that fire can quickly grow and and break out and become a more significant sin of idolatry that later breaks out here in this chapter. But It started, brothers and sisters, even before the grumbling and complaining. It started with the people of Israel forgetting God. And to that, brothers and sisters, I want to just ask Gus by way of application this morning. Where are you tempted to forget God right now in your life? Where are you experiencing a delay of sorts that you're longing for? That can become a pressure point left untended that can lead to grumbling and complaining and then breaking out into grievous idolatry in time. When we start to struggle and we begin to put God to the test and say, is God among me or not? Is He with me? Does God care? It leads to us breaking out into greater sins, but We begin to forget God. We forget that God has rescued us out of hell. He's rescued us out of darkness. And He has cleansed us from our past sins. We are saved. We're born again. We are God's chosen people. His treasured possession. We are loved more than we can even be aware of. And yet, we can forget all that due to the moment. We must take heart, brothers and sisters, and see to it that we do not forget God as the people of Israel did in this passage because it's the forgetting of God who had done great things for them in Egypt that led to them making a calf. It's crazy, but you know the plunder that they got from the Egyptians that God brought them out from Egypt with with great blessing is probably some of the very gold that's being used to now create an idol to rebel against the Lord. We return His goodness to us with wickedness. There's a disposition and a temptation 
and a tendency in us, even as believers, we've got to be on guard against forgetting God and having a very short memory when it comes to His blessings. Being very nearsighted on our circumstances so much so that we forget all the good that He has done for us. Where are you currently being pressed in relation to that? Point two. Idolatry can break loose quickly. You see here, just that it is it's crazy to read this, but they saw Moses delayed and they gathered themselves together. So the people gathered this, themselves together apart from their leaders, Moses and Aaron. They gathered themselves together and then they gathered to Aaron and they say to him, oh, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, as for this Moses, Oh yeah, the guy who's up on the mountain right now receiving the law of God on your behalf. You're calling him this Moses. And it's it's just so, so sobering how quickly degeneration can happen amongst us as God's people. The man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. He was delayed. So Aaron said to them, and, and this by Aaron is it, you read Aaron here, and it just like it pains you to your heart. Take off the rings of gold that are in the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people took off the rings of gold that were in the ears and brought them to Aaron. And then they made the calf. And and Aaron actually says, These are your gods. Oh, Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Aaron builds an altar before it. And then he decides to throw a feast. And then the famous phrase, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. This imagery of play. They indulged in pagan revelry, one translation talks about they engage in all manner of party spirit and immorality. And in verse 7 we see the Lord says to Moses, Go down for your people whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. And then look at verse 8. They have turned aside quickly out of the way that I commanded them. They have turned aside quickly. This language in verse 25, look at this. And when Moses saw the people had broken loose, this language of idolatry here is described as they broke loose from God and they broke loose quickly. What can we learn here, brothers and sisters, in application to our very lives today? After all that God had done in redeeming Israel out of slavery and after all the good that He showed them, after all the provision in the wilderness, supernaturally, the people still went to Aaron and made this wicked request. Moses was with God on the mountain, and at the same time that God was giving His glorious law to His people, God's people and God's high priest were fashioning the golden calf and committing idolatry. 
how quickly we as God's people are capable of turning away from God. How quickly they actually say we don't know what's become of this Moses. But what's very sad is that at least Moses gets a mention. God is not even talked about at all. How painful this must have been to our Lord. How provoking. What is also painful here is that Aaron gives in to the idolatry. You know, brothers and sisters, I'm pained in my heart as I read this account. And you should be as well. And yet I can see the same seeds of rebellion in my own heart that I see in the people of Israel. Can't you? How can it be that we could turn against the one who has shown us so much good? How quickly do we doubt him when things in life don't go our way? In Proverbs, it talks about things that God hates. In Proverbs 6, verse 18, it says, one of the things that God hates are feet that are quick to rush into sin. Well, here the people of Israel's feet were quick to break loose and to rush into sin. And God was greatly, greatly affected. We see in verse 10, the Lord says, Thou, Now therefore, Moses, let me alone that my wrath may burn hot against them and I may consume them. Sin affects God. And point three, sin has serious consequences. Sin has serious consequences. God in verse 10 says, Moses, leave me alone that my wrath might burn hot against them and I may consume them. I think we can, if we're not careful, because God's so forgiving, we can think that God's not affected by our sin. He's not pained by it every time it happens. The fact that God is gracious does not eliminate the truth that God is grieved every time we, as His people, choose to sin against Him. It pains Him every time. And Moses, he was so angry over the rebellion of Aaron and the people that he threw down the Ten Commandments and the tablets of stone and they broke. In his zeal, Moses ground the golden calf down into powder and forced the people to drink it. And he rallied those who were on the Lord's side And the sons of Levi, it says here in the Scripture, struck down 3,000 of the men who rebelled. At the end of the chapter, we read that the Lord sent a plague in response to the worship of the golden calf. Brothers and sisters, let us never think that God is not grieved and angered by sin. The The sins of His people in the face of all of His faithfulness must particularly be a pain to him. You know, it's one thing for the Egyptians to worship a false god and create a golden calf. 
But the Egyptians, if they had kept the jewelry that they all had and didn't give them away to the Israelites so that they were plundered, they probably wouldn't even have made a golden calf. They just would have kept the jewelry for themselves. How much more wicked for that jewelry to be given by God to the people of God and then for them to make a golden calf out of it. It's one thing for Egyptians to worship a false god. But for God's people to craft and worship a false god, a golden calf, oh, you get a glimpse here, brothers and sisters, of how Jesus was so angry over the buying and selling that was going on in the temple, making the temple a den of thieves, and zeal for God's house consumed him. And he began to overturn tables in the temple. And it manifested itself. God's Jesus' zeal manifested itself in a holy anger. There is an anger that's a good anger. And it causes us to take action against that which grieves and pains God. A holy man is angered by what angers God. Moses displays a zeal for God here that causes the people to understand that idolatry will not be tolerated amongst the people of God. It must be dealt with and repented of. And that message comes across loud and clear as the people saw Moses and the Lord respond. The wages of sin is death. you got to understand, brothers and sisters, bodies were on the ground after the partying and feasting and sinful reveling were over. And what, what a sobering moment it must have been when the plague hit after that. Direct application from the New Testament of this passage into our lives as Christians is seen in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, beginning in verse 1. Let us read this account very carefully. For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea and all ate the same spiritual food and all ate, all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them. And here's a sighting of Christ in the Old Testament. The rock that followed them, that rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased. For they were overthrown in the wilderness. Look at verse 6. Now these things took place as examples. For us, that we might not desire evil as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did. And 23,000 fell in a single day. We must not put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents. Look at verse 10. Nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example. But they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. 
Therefore let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, He will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. And then in verse 14, here's the direct application from the Scriptures themselves to our lives today, dear brothers and sisters of Christ Community Church. Verse 14 says, Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. Flee from idolatry. We get a glimpse of what idolatry is in Colossians 3, verse 5, when it says, put to death, therefore, whatever is earthly in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Verse 14 says, Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. Flee from sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. We must fight against anything in our lives that we love so much that we cannot give it up. Even sometimes good things we can love too much to the point where they are actually idols and they can lead us slowly adrift. I'm affected by how so often when we talk about grumbling and complaining, we would typically think of that as like, that's not that big of a deal to sin in that way. Grumbling and complaining is so serious that in verse 10, it says, don't grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. For grumbling? For grumbling. We must keep a close watch over our mouth and our tongues. Because such a great blaze can be set adrift and break loose out from our grumbling lips. The tongue has great power to heal and to bind up wounds. It also has power to destroy. And brothers and sisters, we must be self-controlled in the use of our mouths. You know, one of the things in our day that is it doesn't get a whole lot of uh, press time and air time is the importance of being self-controlled with our speech. Our motto in our culture is, if I feel it, I have a right to say it. I'm just keeping it real. Boom. But we don't understand sometimes that not everything that flows through our minds deserves to be spoken. And actually by speaking it, we can speak as Ephesians 4.29 says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their need that it might benefit those who listen. Do not let any corrupting talk come out of your mouth. Don't grumble. Don't complain. And we can just think, surely it's okay if I grumble and complain around my spouse or around my family and those who I'm closest to. No, brothers and sisters, it is never okay for us to grumble. It's never okay for us to complain. And where we see these tendencies in us, let us ask the Lord, even right now, for forgiveness for where we have a tendency to grumble against Him. Because 
as we learn in this section of Scripture, it can lead to quickly turning aside from the commandments of the Lord if we don't flee from idolatry. We must really take a Joseph-like disposition towards the lusts and passions in our life that are leading us and tempting us toward falling away from God. We think, oh, you know what? It's not that big of a deal. Everybody struggles with sin. Why are you being so intense about this, Pastor? 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11. The Word of God says this, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. The passions of your flesh and the passions of my flesh wage war against my soul. They wage war against your soul. It couldn't be more serious. We're the ones that make it light. And I think we do so at a disservice to our souls. So let us, like Joseph, flee away from sexual immorality in all of its forms. Flee away from lust and impurity and evil desires and greed in our lives. Let us do everything we can to cut off our hand, gouge out our eye, do whatever radical steps, Jesus says, speaking in hyperbole, to make sure that we get ourselves loose from the binding temptations of sin and the way that it can pull us down and lead us to quickly turn aside, even as the people of Israel quickly turned aside. Oh, the seriousness of sin is painted here before us, brothers and sisters. Let us take it to heart. (coughs) Point four and five, we're going to move more quickly. Point four, are you on the Lord's side? I take this here from verse 26 when Moses stood in the gate of the camp and he said, who is on the Lord's side? Come to me. Rebellion's breaking out everywhere and Moses speaks to the Levites and says, who's with the Lord? This is a good question and one that we must all take to heart. May it be said of each one of us, brothers and sisters, here this morning, he's on the Lord's side. She's on the Lord's side. And may we evidence this with our lives of following the Lord, even as These Levites followed the Lord on this day. If God is for us, who can be against us? This section here reminds you of Joshua 24-15 when Joshua says, Choose you this day whom you will serve. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We are on God's side in this house. And we want to have a zealous disposition to do everything we can to really side up with the Lord and to follow Him and to take obedience to His commands seriously and take the remaining indwelling sin that resides within seriously because we see how it can affect the people of God as it did here in this chapter. Point five, who will intercede for you? I referenced Psalm 106 earlier. And in Psalm 106, verse 23, the word says, Therefore, God said He would destroy them had not Moses, His chosen one, 
stood in the breach before Him to turn away His wrath from destroying them. It actually says that Moses stood in the breach between the people of God and God and interceded on behalf of the people to God and turned away the wrath of God from destroying the people. And in that sense, Moses highlights and points to us the work of our great intercessor, Jesus Christ. Our great mediator, our great high priest, who as it says in Hebrews chapter 7, the former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But Jesus holds His priesthood permanently because He continues forever. Consequently, Jesus is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through Him since He always lives to make intercession for them. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5 says, For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave Himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. Psalm 106 said, Had not Moses the Chosen One stood in the breach, the wrath of God would have burned against the people of God. But you see in verse 11 this imagery. Look at Moses. He's imploring the Lord as God. He says, Oh Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people? Why should the Egyptians say, and he, he argues there with the Lord, that the Egyptians will be able to say about you, slanderously that with evil intent you brought them out. And that's not true, God. That's not true about you. Relent. Don't give the Egyptians this opportunity to speak so evil of who you are. Relent from this disaster against your people. That's an intercessor. That is someone who stands in the breach. Oh, brothers and sisters, don't you understand what Christ has done for you. He's done a work greater than what Moses did here because Moses says later on, perhaps I might be able to make atonement for you. But Christ comes and says, I have made atonement for you, accomplished and reply, uh, applied to your life through my finished work on the cross. Christ stood in the breach between His Holy Father And as Jesus cried out even on the cross, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. I'll die. I'll receive the wrath so that they do not need to receive my wrath. I'll stand in the breach. I'll stand in the gap. And I'll be the mediator between you and them. I will intercede. Thank God that we can say here this morning, Christ community, and remember Jesus' words, Father, forgive CB, for he knows not what he does. I have prayed for you, CB, that your faith might not fail. Charles Spurgeon said, we little know what we owe to our Savior's prayers. In 1 John chapter 2, oh, get this scripture deep down in your soul. 1 John chapter 2, verse 1, My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate. An advocate! 
with the Father. Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation. He's the wrath-absorbing sacrifice. We have an advocate. Oh, friend, don't you understand this word? This advocate means that He comes and He intercedes on our behalf. He implores the Father, have mercy on them. And God the Father relents in pouring out His wrath upon us because He pours it all out on Jesus instead of on us. Oh, friends, He has indeed been the propitiation for our sins. And aren't you thankful? Aren't you so very thankful that when we sin, we know we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Oh, as you ponder the seriousness of sin, and you ponder the wrath that you and I all deserve here this morning, friends, let us celebrate and marvel at the fact that God, looking down upon His people and seeing such stubbornness, such a stiff-necked disposition to cling to sin and idolatry. Not a moment does Moses go up and he's given them the kind law of God and they're breaking out against him down on the ground. And God on behalf of this people and on behalf of us sends his own son down says he's going to be the propitiation. My son, will you go and stand in the breach so that these, my chosen ones, might enjoy heaven together with us forever? Jesus says, yes. Why? Because we were so lovable? How would you have treated individuals of this disposition if they were treating you this way in your life? We write people off that fast and break away even faster. We're done with people when they wrong us once. And God is provoked day and night holding out His arms. Please turn to me. Please turn to me and I'll forgive you. And this stiff-necked disposition, this stubborn disposition to cling to sin does not stop. And yet He continues to hold His arms open wide. Day after day, all day long, I have held out my arms to a disobedient and obstinate people, God says. He just does not give up in His mercy and His compassion on sinners. Rather, He says, you know what? I'm going to relent in my wrath here. And I'm going to send my Son anyway. In his forbearance, he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished, it says in Romans 3. What happened with all this? All the wrath here was being stored up, and yet it broke out here corporately. I mean, the anger of the Lord broke out, and the people felt the effects of it. But brothers and sisters, that was not the full, righteous wrath of Almighty God against the sin of human rebellion and idolatry. You know who got that? 
Jesus got that on the cross when He was our propitiation and our wrath-absorbing sacrifice. And so point six, God relented. The Lord relented from acting in judgment toward His people when they sinned. He did this when Moses interceded and prayed to Him His powerful prayer. And the fact that God relented, it shows that we serve a living God who's willing to hear our prayers even as He hears Jesus' prayers. Father, forgive Him for He knows not what He does. We serve a living God, an involved God, a God who engages us where we're at, a God who responds, a personal God who's intimately acquainted with all of our ways, who's moved to anger by every act of idolatry in my life and yours, and yet still, with sin affecting Him, He's slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. He's provoked day in and day out by my stubborn clinging to my remaining indwelling sin, and yet He does not stop having mercy and promising, my mercies are going to be new again for you tomorrow. CB. Oh, brothers and sisters, when the Levites gra- grabbed the sword and ran and struck down their brothers, those Israelites that were struck down deserved to be struck down. You know who didn't deserve to be pierced? It was Jesus. And yet He was pierced for our transgression. He was crushed for our iniquity. And when the plague broke out upon the people and 23,000 fell in a single day, there was no injustice on God's part. Let us never struggle. A holy God must respond to sin. But this plague was nothing compared to the full furious wrath of our holy heavenly Father when the storm clouds came over Jesus when He was hanging on the cross, turning the skies dark at noon as the Father poured forth the plague of wrath against all of our sins upon His own Son instead of us. What kind of God, having been so provoked in this way, would act in such love as to relent in His wrath against those who provoked His wrath and who deserved His wrath and rather instead said, I'm going to take my precious Son, the One whom I love, and I'm going to put Him forward so that these rebels can be forgiven and enjoy Me forever. What kind of God are we talking about here? How amazing is it that God would love like this and be devoted like this? How awesome it is that He would have suffered Himself to be pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities, the punishment that brought us peace. 
was upon Jesus on the cross and by His wounds. We don't get plagued. We don't get struck down and go to hell like we deserve. By His wounds, we are healed. We're healed. Are you moved, friend? Are you moved that God has done this for you? This ought to so move us, church. It ought to cause us, as Mark was leading us this morning in worship, it ought to cause us to shout, praise Lord, that I've got a God that loves like this. And when I sing before the throne of God above, I have a strong and perfect plea. A great high priest whose name is love. Whoever lives and pleads for me. Forgive him, Lord. Forgive her, Lord. Remember what I did on her behalf. Remember how I suffered on his behalf. And accept him. That's our advocate. That's our Jesus. And none of that stops. Even as so often, even to this day, I look into my life and see feet that are still quickly disposed to rush into sin. Mouth that's so quick still to grumble and complain. And yet, he ever lives to make intercession for this sinner (laughs) and for you, dear brother, and for you, sister. So, be strong and take heart today, my brothers and sisters, and remember (laughs) that though your sins were like scarlet, It'd been washed whiter than snow. And though before you didn't have somebody standing in the breach for you, now you have somebody who stands in the breach. You have an advocate. You have nothing to fear from the day of judgment when you die if you're a Christian and you've trusted in Christ in this room. Take heart. Be encouraged today. And even though there's still many areas where you've fallen short, and so have I, He loved you. And He gave Himself for you. And He's never going to let you go. Just have a moment just where we just silently reflect on His advocacy on our behalf.
Oh, Bort. That you would ever live and plead for me. I don't deserve it. None of us do, Lord. What kind of love are we talking about here, God, from you? It defies human comprehension. It's a, it's a holy love. It's other. We've never, ever seen a love like this. Why would you fight for us at all? Why would you plead for us at all? How many times have we turned our back on you so quickly without thought? And yet you have never, ever left us or forsaken us. We just want to say thank you for being who you are. Thank you for being like that. Thank you for being such an awesome God. We worship you and praise you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for being pierced instead of us. Thank you for your sacrifice. We love you, Lord. Amen. Amen. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ, the righteous. He's the propitiation for our sins. Go forth in the goodness of that truth this morning, dear church. God bless you.